Well, our guests tonight, plural, are Mr. and Mrs. Thurman Scribner. <laughs> Cheryl and Thurman. Um, Thurman is one of your favorite guests because uh, you teach us such simple faith. Yes. Welcome, both of you. It's so good to have you. You know, before we get around to some things with them, why don't we, uh, we've asked Thurman if he would read the Psalms for our troops tonight. Yes. I would be happy to. I'm going to read Psalms 91. I think it's one of the most awesome Psalms that there is. So let me. It is. Let me read Psalms 91 here. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, the first thing you notice right there, there is a requirement. Yes, indeed. You've got to dwell in the secret place of the Most High mm-hmm. God. And then the second requirement is, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. So to make this psalm work for you, you've got to dwell, and then you've got to say. Mm-hmm. So there's requirements, and I, people just don't understand that. Then verse 3 says, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence, or the raging epidemic. Now, that's all kinds of sickness and disease. If you don't want to have any sickness and disease, you do the first two things in verse 1 and 2. By faith, you can do that. Then he says, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall thy trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Right there is another guarantee from God under the old covenant law that if you'll be obedient to serve him, you will never have to be sick. Amen. That's a guarantee from the king. Then he says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Not one or two, mm-hmm. all of them. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon. Now, that's Satan and his host of demonic spirits. Mm. Shall you trample underfoot? Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him, I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him, and with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen and amen. Now, if every man and woman that goes to war anywhere would learn to claim those promises and put God first, I can guarantee you on the word of the living God they can come back without a scratch. I spent that time in Vietnam and saw guys killed all around us. You went to Vietnam? Oh, yeah. I was in Vietnam. Thank you for serving over there, okay? Now, the people people over there and the people in America had no idea of what we were going through in Vietnam. That's right. Yeah, I was in Vietnam, 
And I, I saw a lot of devastating things happen. In fact, I made this statement that whenever the uh, war in the Mideast, you know, came up this last time, not the last time, when President Bush was, the first Bush, was mm-hmm. when the Gulf War came up, I told my son, he was a young man, but he was old enough to go to war. I said, if President Bush starts a war like they did in Vietnam, I said, I was young and dumb in Vietnam. But I said, we could have won that war in a month. But I said, we didn't. And all those men got killed. And, of course, more men have died because of the after effects of that war yes, that's right. than died during it uh-huh. because of different diseases they mm-hmm. got and all those different things that happened Age because those men did that. not know how to walk by faith. Mm-hmm. But the average Christian today, even the Christians in the church, don't know what faith is. That's right. They say they do. I used to say I thought I knew what faith was, but I realized that I didn't know what it was. But now then that I've learned what faith is and how to make it work for me, I have realized that the men that was in Vietnam didn't know what faith was. So when they came back, they let the enemy beat up on them. You know, they were, some of them, depressed. And, you know, they, all kinds of things happened to those men. Mm-hmm. And there's literally been more men, more of those men die since we got back than literally died over there uh-huh. in the war. And all because they don't understand these principles. Mm-hmm. Now, anybody that gets a hold of this magnificent book and begins to believe these magnificent principles of God's Word, you will begin to understand what faith is. But faith is walking in obedience to that Word. Just like that book said, to he who makes the Most High God your dwelling place. Now, that's not... That's not going to church on Sunday every Sunday. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) That's just not going there in in 10 to 12 and then No, that's right. Making Him, the Most High God, your dwelling place, that's living with Him all the time. That's living with God. That's reading His Word. That's talking about Him. You know, that's praying. Just like Cheryl, she says she's awestruck at almost everything we go to do. I pray over her. I mean, she called me on the phone, you know, and asked me a question before I let her get off the phone. You know, I'll pray for her that the Lord will protect her and watch over her. She said she's never had a human being do that right. for her in her life. But for those that don't know on the, that are on the television, uh, Cheryl is my wife. So for the benefit of those that don't know, and she's my new wife, you know. Yes. She's brand new. Brand new. In fact, we only got married <laughs> last Sunday. Uh, in fact, I'd done the ceremony myself. Did you really? Yeah, a lot of people said they'd never seen that done, but she wanted me to do it since I'm the pastor of the church and uh-huh. everything. She said she wanted me to be that and to uh, do the service, so I did. And we had a packed house. I mean, it was oh, sure. packed. the whole church was just packed out. In fact, we had standing room only. We had people standing everywhere. But uh, we'd done the service. And, uh, in fact, I guess since I've told you that, told them that she's my new wife, I'd like to tell the story. Please do. Mm-hmm. They'll love that story. I would like to tell the story like about I how did. this came to be because Cheryl's been without a husband for 24 years. Wow. And I've been without a wife for three years. My wife was killed in a car wreck yes. three years ago. And uh, I had planned. Of course, she had, too. She had uh, said she would never remarry. She had no idea. No, reason to remarry and had not uh, was not going to and had not married now in 24 years 
But the other day, when, or a few months ago, when Brother David Fees and I was out here on the way home, he asked me on the way home if I ever planned to be married again. And I told him, no, I do not plan to be married. I said, there's only one way I would be married a second time. And that is if God spoke to me and told me that woman was to be my wife. Because I know if I made the choice myself, I'd probably make the wrong choice. And I said, I'd have to have a woman that was on fire for God because that's where I walk. I walk in a very unique, supernatural realm. And I said, the woman that would go with me would have to be a unique woman. And so I said, except God send her, I would never choose my own. And so I hadn't looked. Uh, I hadn't went with a woman, hadn't dated a woman, hadn't even thought about ever having another wife. But uh, on the 26th day of April, of course, Cheryl, uh, my now wife, uh, uh, two years ago, I met her in a Kinko's copy store in Grapevine, Texas. Just, she walked in to have some flowers made, and I was having some flowers made, and she looked over mine, and mine was about Jesus the healer. And she said, sir, you've seen Jesus heal people? I said, oh, yeah, hundreds of them, even thousands of them. She said, could I have one of those? And I said, sure. So I gave her one of my little flyers, and uh, I looked at her, and I remember that. I hadn't even looked at her until then. Of course, I turned to look at her, and I saw she was a very beautiful lady. So I said, uh, ma'am, you're a very beautiful lady. And I handed her one of my flyers. And then I said a couple of other little things, and I walked off. And she said she, that day she thought, hmm, what a nice man. You know, he spoke so kind and so gentle to me. And so uh, I left and she left, and the next month in June, June the 8th, she came to a healing school because I teach a healing school the second Saturday of every month, or half for five years. But now then, since January, we're teaching on the second Saturday and the fourth Saturday, so we're increasing that. But anyway, she came to that healing school on the 8th of June, two years ago. She had had an incurable disease for 30 years, a disease that doctors could not cure. And so... She came to a healing school, learned what caused it, repented. After she repented of her sins, uh, she came to the altar. I laid hands on her and prayed for her, and Jesus instantly healed her. I mean, she was instantly healed. And so after after she was healed, well, she started coming to my church, you know, because she saw, saw God do a miracle. And I guess, you know, most people today don't get to see God do very many miracles. That's right. So she started coming to my church on a regular basis. And... I had no contact with her other than every once in a while after she came over there for a year or so. She was learning how to walk by faith. And so she started praying for people and every once in a while. And and most of her testimonies was in the realm of finances. She had learned how to become a tither. She was tithing to our minister, her and her daughter, which sing together. And the Lord was opening more and more doors for them. So their income was increasing very significantly. In fact, she told me there one day she gave us a testimony that after learning to tithe, the first year she tithed, their income increased a little over $20,000 wow. in one year just because they had started tithing. And so she was learning all these principles. So as she was learning them, she'd give a testimony every once in a while because one of the first things I do in my church is almost every Sunday I open the floor for people to give praise to God for what he does because we get to see him do so many wonderful things. So anyway... A couple of years came and went, and uh, uh, here a few months ago, she called me one day, and she said, Thurman, I want you to pray with me about my dad. And I said, well, what's wrong with him? She said, he's in the hospital, and the five doctors have said he'll never go home. He'll die. And she said, I'm not ready to give up my daddy. 
I said, well, honey, how old is he? And she said, well, he's 86, almost 86. And I said, well, he's lived a long life. You know, 86 is a pretty long life. And if you get in the hospital and you've not been taught faith, I said, although you're learning how to walk by faith, your daddy hasn't learned how to walk by faith. I said, it will be an intensive battle. But I said, we can win it if you're willing to fight the fight of faith. She said, I'll fight the fight. I said, okay, but I'm telling you, it's going to be intensive. She said, I'm willing to do anything for my daddy. I said, okay. So I prayed with her and told her what all to do. So she goes to the hospital. She takes her Bible, and she starts quoting the Word of God over her daddy and praying with him. She literally almost spends night and day in that hospital with her daddy. Every week and a half or something, she would call me, and she said, I think I'm losing it a little bit here. I need you to pray with me again. And so I'd pray a prayer of faith with her again, and then I'd turn her loose for another week. And so anyway, I prayed with her over about a 55-day period, about five times. Mm-hmm. But I never went down there. I just prayed, you know, because I'm very, very busy. You know, i got people calling me like that all the time, so I can't go to all these hospitals. But anyway, 55 days later, her daddy came out totally, completely healed. I mean, he's back at work now. He's driving a car. The doctors couldn't believe it. You know, here he was. Five doctors said day one he had never leave, Mm -hmm. never be here. Couldn't. Impossible. But we fought the fight of faith, knowing these principles in God's Word, and we won the victory. And so, of course, I had no idea he's fixing to be my father-in-law. So I had no idea. <laughs> but anyway, after uh, this happened and he's out, she came up one day and gave the testimony about how we fought the fight of faith for her daddy. Well, she stood up there and held the mic for her like I do nearly everybody. And then she left and went and sat down. Anyway, I was praying and asking the Lord. I said, Lord, I need somebody else to help me in the ministry. Our ministry is growing. You know, we're making more tapes. And we send all our tapes out free and postpaid to anybody that calls whatever they want. So we send them out. So we're making more and more tapes all the time. So I was needing some more help. So I was praying and asking the Lord, Lord, I need you to show me who you want me to bring into the ministry to to work with us. Well, on the Monday morning, the 26th of April, Cheryl had a dream. And in the dream, she dreamed she was married to me. And she thought how strange this was, since she had never dated me or nothing, had no contact with me. She found it very strange that she would dream a dream that she was married to me. Well, the very next morning, which was Tuesday morning, the 27th, after praying and asking the Lord to show me who he wanted to work with me in the ministry, I, I, I turned over in the bed. When I turned over in the bed, I, I, I think I opened my eyes. I, I'm not sure, but... Anyway, I saw her face right in front of my face. And when I saw that, I really opened my eyes because it seemed like it was so real. I literally, for a second, thought she was laying in my bed. And I thought, wow. So I opened my eyes when I did. Well, there was nobody there. And then I thought, wow, Lord, am I so glad there's nobody here in my bed with me. But that's how real the vision was Uh when I saw her face. So I got up and went in to wash my face. And I said, Lord. Are you trying to show me that Cheryl's supposed to work with me in the ministry? And I was standing there at the sink washing my face and drying it, and the Lord spoke to me just as clear. The Lord has spoken to me in that authoritative voice at least 30-plus times now in my life. Many times he's spoken to me. He said, no, son, Cheryl's going to be your wife. Mm. I mean, just as clear, I mean, Cheryl's, no, son, Cheryl's going to be your wife. I thought, Lord, she's going to be my wife. I said, Lord, I'm not even looking for a wife. You know, I haven't even dated this girl or nothing. So anyway, that Tuesday night, we have Bible study in Dallas. And so I went to teach the Bible study. And uh, I 
usually teach two hours. So from 7 to 9, we taught a Bible study. And everybody started going home. They usually hang around for prayer and talking for an hour, or hour and a half, sometimes two or three hours. But anyway, that night by 10 or 10.30, nearly everybody was gone. And I was getting ready to lock up the building and go home, and I looked up, and there stood Cheryl. And I told her, I said, I didn't see you at Bible study. She said, no, I was out visiting a lady tonight. I had an appointment with a lady, and so I said, after I got through that appointment, I thought, I'm just going to go by and see if you're still here, because I know you hang around the church a lot uh, late. And so she said, I just thought I'd come by and talk to you a minute. And I said, Cheryl, have you ever thought about working with me in the ministry? And she said, yes, I have, and I would love to work with you in the ministry. I said, let's go ahead and lock up the building, and let's go down here to a little restaurant and drink a cup of tea or something, and let's talk about this. So she followed me in her car down there, because up until this date, I had never went to a restaurant with a lady since my wife died three years ago. Never. So she followed me down in her car. She comes in, I go in. We go and sit down at a table. And I said, would you mind telling me why you're so quickly uh, willing to give up your business, what you're doing? Because she's an entertainer, a singer and entertainer. Her and her daughter sing and entertain at all kinds of things, weddings and events and all kinds of things. And so I said, why would you be willing to give all that up to go to work with me? I said, have you had a word from the Lord? She said, I have. And I said, would you mind telling me what it was? She said, well, it's kind of personal, and it might offend you. And I said, well, I've been a pastor a couple of years now. I think I'm not offendable anymore. I've heard just about everything you can hear as a pastor. I said, go ahead and tell tell me what the Lord told you. And she said, well, okay. She said, "Uh, yesterday morning I had a dream, and in the dream I was married to you. I saw myself married to you. I said, that's interesting. I said, this morning I had a vision laying there in bed of your face, and when I got up and went and washed my face, I asked the Lord if you were supposed to work with me in the ministry, and he told me, no, that you were going to be my wife. And so I said, since the Lord showed you the dream yesterday and me the vision and spoke to me this morning, I said, how would you like to be my full-time helpmate and serve with me as my wife in the ministry? She said, I would love it. And she reached across the table and touched my hand. And that's the first time we had ever touched hands after I'd asked her to marry me. So we sat and talked till 2.30 in the morning. Then we went out to get in the car. And I took her out to her car. And I opened the car door for her. And I said, well, I said, I haven't done anything like this in a long time. But I said, since we're engaged to be married, reckon it'd be okay if I kissed you before you were home? <laughs> she said, yes. And so she reached up and kissed me. And that started it all. And from that day to this, from that day, it had been 40 days from the day the Lord spoke to me until Sunday when we were married wow. at our church in Dallas. And so the last two days, you might say we're on our honeymoon mm-hmm. now, and I never dreamed I'd ever be married again. But, and she never dreamed she'd be married again either. But here we are as helpmates. Uh, we're going to serve the Lord together. So That's awesome. I can That's only a God imagine. thing the way you it's did a, that. It's such a beautiful yeah. thing that yeah, God it is, did. It is an awesome thing that God has done. You know, it really is. And it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing because I know that uh, our ministry is growing like crazy. Uh-huh. You know, many people are being healed and delivered. And, and I, 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 will tell you, I will tell you just some of the praise reports and things that have happened. Uh, I went down to uh, close to Tyler the other day, and I was teaching to a fairly large group of people. And as I taught, I taught about an hour and a half one morning and an hour and a half the next morning. And 
several people came up for prayer, and I told a story about Philip Anthony Wren about how I prayed for him in 1995, nearly nine years ago. It has been nine years ago. And how that little eight-year-old boy had his body covered with warts and scars. And I prayed over him, and I told him the scriptures I used and everything. And the next morning, Philip's warts started coming off. And within three weeks, every wart on his body was gone. And then the next week, the Lord even took off the scars where they'd burned them off. So I told that story as I was teaching. And so after the teaching, there was a man brought his little 10 or 12-year-old daughter up and said, My daughter's got 16 big warts on the back of her hand. Mm. He said, Would you pray for her? I said, Sure. I reached up, rebuked the enemy, commanded him to take those warts off of her. Because God don't put those warts on there. The enemy does. Mm -hmm. Commanded him in Jesus' name to take those warts off that little girl. And the next morning, when they woke up, every wart on that little girl's hand was gone. And then one of the awesome things that happened, and this this could be a very tremendous teaching tool for a lot of men and women. Because I know that lots of men and women, especially women... Women have been sexually abused when they were children, or they've been raped after they got to be teenagers Mm -hmm. or something like this. And they don't understand how the enemy works. I didn't for years, but that day I had a precious little 30-something-year-old young girl. In fact, that second day I had a prayer line. I, I taught the Word of God for an hour and a half. I'd been standing backstage for over a half hour before and then went out and stood out front and taught the Word of God for an hour and a half and then came off stage and was standing there for probably 30 minutes when somebody came to me and said, there's a prayer line gathering out here. We want you to come out. I went out there and I prayed nonstop for people for five hours without sitting down, having a drink of water, nothing. Five solid hours ministering to people, praying over people. And one of the last ones was a precious, beautiful little 30-something-year-old young lady. And she said, Mr. Scrivener, I've got to talk to you privately. I said, okay, honey. So I withdrew from the line. We went over and sat down. And a lot of people have a problem with this, but, you know, I don't. And, I, you know, I am me, and I do what God tells me to do. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I'm sitting there in the presence of many other people. But this beautiful little girl could have been my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I knew she had a very complex problem. And so I told her, I said, honey, pull your chair up here right here beside me. And she wanted to be intimate with me, I could tell, because she had something very personal to talk about. So I just put my arm around her and pulled her up right, just like she is my daughter. Mm-hmm. And now some people say, hey, you shouldn't do that. But, I mean, you know, I, I, that's, that's not me. You know, if, mm-hmm. if I feel led to do that, I do that, you know. So anyway, I pulled this little girl up, and I said, honey, what's your problem? She said, I want you to pray for my husband. I said, What's wrong with your husband? She said, my husband's hooked on pornography. Mm. I said, oh, yes? Your husband's hooked on pornography? She said, yes. I said, honey, let me be very intimate with you. That's why I will use no names at all. Right. I said, are you and your husband having a good sexual relationship? And she said, no. I said, I thought so. I said, Do you have any children? She said, yes, I've got a couple of children. I said, did you have them at the first of your marriage? She said, yes. I said, after the children, the second child was born, I said, what kind of a relationship have you and your husband had? She said, well, not very much. I said, do you know how many times you've had sex in the last 10 years? She said, yes. I said, how many times? She said, five times. I said, that's why your husband's hooked on pornography. 
Amen. I said, now then, honey, let me ask you a personal question. How young were you the first time you were abused sexually? She said, three years old. Oh, my goodness. Three years old. She was sexually abused. I said, were you ever raped or abused after you got to be a teenager? She said, yes. I was brutally raped when I was 16 years old. Mm. I said, there's your problem. I said, every time your husband tries to approach you to have a sexual relationship, you, you relive that trauma. Mm-hmm. She said, yes, I do. I said, that's why you cannot enjoy your relationship. Mm-hmm. I said, honey, you know what you've done? She said, no, sir, I don't know. I said, you've created a soul tie, an unholy soul tie. And I said, that unholy soul tie started when you were three. And then when you were 16, it really locked it in. Mm-hmm. So I said, most women do not realize that they will generate a very binding soul tie to the first man, or especially the first two men that they ever have a sexual relationship with. It's just the way God made us. I said, that's why God said a woman is to never have a sexual relationship with a man until she's married. And then the man's not to have any kind of relationship with a woman until he has it with the woman he marries. Then you'll generate one good soul tie, and mm-hmm. it'll be lasting forever. Mm-hmm. And I said, your relationship will be wonderful. You won't have those problems. And I said, you didn't know that. And, of course, nothing you could have done would have changed that because you right. were young when somebody abused you. Then you were brutally raped when you were 16. And I said, God has the answer. I said, we can break that soul tie. And so we, I said, do you know the names of these men? She said, yes. I said, good. So we went through and broke those soul ties. We, all those unholy soul ties, we took authority over them. We took authority over the evil spirits that came in with those soul ties. Wow. Now you name the name of the person. That's where you break it? That's right. You name the person and you, by faith, just like being redeemed from the curse of the law, just like Galatians 3.13 says, we do that by faith, mm-hmm. by spoken words from mm-hmm. God's word. We claim the redemption from the curse of the law mm-hmm. by faith in God's word. There's people out there saying they wish you'd say this prayer. Can't you say that prayer and let them put that name in right now? Sure, yeah. In other words, if somebody has been raped, all they need to do or abused sexually by someone, they need to just say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I by faith am breaking the tie, the soul tie that was created or generated between me and James or John or whatever, John Doe or whatever Mm -hmm. their name is. If they're a woman. Now, if you're a man, you know, you can have it also from mm-hmm. somebody that abused you some way. So, but it's primarily with women. So you claim the breaking of the soul tie. And after they break the tie, the soul tie between them and that person, then they say, now then, I command, according to Luke, Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, where our Savior gave us all power and all authority over Satan and his host of demonic spirits. I now command every demonic spirit that came into me due to that soul tie. Because the thing about it is, if the man that abused that little girl when she was three, if he had had five other or ten other partners before he came to her, then he could have soul ties from all those people and demonic spirits from all those people. And all those demonic spirits will come to that child. Mm. And they will torment her and beat up on her all the days of her life. And that's what was happening to this little girl. So I said, we not only break the soul tie, but then we command, according to Luke 10, 19, and 20, where Jesus gave us all authority over the evil spirits, 
We now break those soul ties and we now command those evil spirits, every one of them, to leave us and never return to us in the name of Jesus. Mm. And I said, by faith, they have to leave. I said, now then we go to that man that raped you when you were 16. And she knew his name. And so we did the same thing. We broke that soul tie. I said, now then, after breaking those soul ties, now I said, for every man or woman that's had any kind of a relationship outside of marriage, they need to break all those soul ties. Because those soul ties will bring demonic spirits from everyone they've had an impact with. Mm. Let's say that somebody had been a perverted person and been a prostitute or whatever and had been to bed with a 50 or 100 men. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got so many soul ties. You know, they could have so many evil spirits. It would just be awful what could happen to them in their life. And, of course, some of those spirits will wait till later years in their life. They'll never manifest. And then one day when they do manifest, all kinds of sickness and disease comes upon them. And they don't understand what's happening. They think it's just a way of life. But it's not. We're not supposed to be sick. We're not supposed to be sick. We're supposed to be well as Christians. But, of course, unfortunately, I didn't know that either for most of my life. Mm -hmm. But when I learned it 20 years ago, I've not had a sick day in the last 20 years when I learned what faith is. But anyway, after this young girl, we broke all the soul ties between her and this man that abused her when she was three and the one that abused her when she was 16 because it was a brutal thing. And after breaking all that, I told her, I said, now I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for you, and I'm going to ask the Lord to anoint you with the Holy Ghost and power and love. And she said, what do I need to do? I said, I want you to go home. Now, you've got to realize this, I'm talking very intimate to a precious little daughter, because people got to know this. But if people don't know these things, you know, and some people fail, say, Thurman, you get too intimate with people. Hey, let me tell you, I've learned what sets you free. And if I don't get intimate with you, you can't learn how to get set free. Amen. So I told her, I said, here's what you need to do. After we pray the prayer of faith for her now and ask the Lord to fill her with the Holy Spirit, fill her with a spirit of love, joy, and peace, I said, I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to put on some beautiful negligee, and I want you to go in, and I want you to crawl in bed with your husband, and I want you to tell him how sorry you've been because you've withheld yourself from him. I said, don't go in there out of duty. Go in there out of love. That's where you're supposed to be as a married woman. You're supposed to be in bed with your spouse. And it should be a relationship of love. About three weeks later, I got an email from this young woman. She said, Mr. Scribner, I went home. I said, after I left you, I couldn't wait to get home. She said, I felt clean and pure for the first time in my life. Glory to God. She said, I just had never had the feeling that I had after those soul ties were broken and all those evil spirits had been cast out of me. She said, but I couldn't wait to get home that night. She said, I got home that night. My husband was already in bed. But she said, I put my two little girls to bed, got them ready. And she said, I did exactly what you said. She said, I went in there and I crawled in bed with my husband and I told him how much I loved him how sorry I was that I'd withheld myself from him all these years. She said, my husband cried, I cried, he prayed over me. And she said, that night we had the most awesome sexual relationship I have ever experienced in my life. And she said, from that day to the day of writing this letter, our life at home has been nothing but joy, joy, joy. The way God wants it. Exactly the way God ordained it, see. How awesome. I mean, these are some of the things I get to see God do. It is awesome to get to see God do those kind of things. 
But I see him do those kind of things all the time for people. You know, all I can say is the Word of God is so clear and so simple as of what you're supposed to do. And all the thing the Lord requires is that we walk holy before Him. Mm-hmm. We make Him our God, our Lord. Read His Word every day. You know, talk about Him every day. Mm-hmm. Live like He said in the Word. Now, that's Psalm 91 we read there a while ago. In the Old Covenant, that's one of many places that God guarantees you'll have no sickness and no disease. Mm-hmm. So if that's a guarantee from God to have no sickness and no disease, then what's wrong with the church today? Because the church today, there's as many sick and afflicted in the church today as there are out there in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I have never been to a church that didn't have a humongous prayer list of people that gets healed, right. won't needing to be healed. Mm-hmm. But you never see them get healed, or very rarely. Very rarely. Just like the other day, I had a man by the name of Richard Queen. I'll even use names on this one. Richard Queen, he, had, he was 45 years old. He was a Catholic. He went to church every Sunday. I mean, every Sunday. He, out of duty, thought he was serving God. But he didn't know the first thing about God. You know, he, he just, I didn't read the Bible much, very little. But out of duty, I knew as a good Catholic, I'm supposed to be in church every Sunday. So he said, I went to church every Sunday, but God was really not that real to me, he said. You know, I thought I'm doing my duty. And then he said, at 45 years old, he said, I'm uh, healthy, I'm active, I'm a runner, I'm doing all kinds of things. And he said, all of a sudden, I get to where I'm a little dizzy, I'm having problems. And so he said, I go down to the doctor, and they do a full check on me, and I got brain tumors. And I only got three or four or five months to live. Mm. These brain tumors are inoperable in the top of my head. They go down his back. Wow. And within a matter of 30 days from the waist down, he's totally immobile in a wheelchair. Mm. In 30 days' time from a running, active, mm-hmm. 45-year-old young man in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Doctors told him, ain't nothing we can do for you, Richard. You're going to die. Right. And it's not going to be very long. Well, a lady that knew him and his wife had been to my church several times. So they asked Richard to come over there. So... Him and his wife came to my church, and he brought him in his wheelchair, put him right up on the front row one Sunday afternoon. Since I saw him there in the wheelchair, and I went over and talked to him, asked him what his problem was when he told me. That Sunday, I changed my message, and I talked entirely for an hour and a half on healing. I mean, just the powerful promises of God building this man's faith, because I knew as a Catholic, most Catholics are like most Baptists and Methodists and everything else. They don't have any faith. Yeah, you ask them, we have faith, it'd be just like I was when I was a good Baptist. You know, I'd say, sure, I got faith. But I didn't know the first letter in faith. So anyway, I went over there and I talked to Richard a few minutes, and then I taught an hour and a half. And to the end of the teaching, I walked right up to him right there, and I said, Richard, do you believe anything I've said today? He said, sir, everything you said has been in my Bible. I said, but do you believe those promises? He said, yes, I do. I said, good. I laid my hands on top of his head. I rebuked that spirit of hell and commanded that thing to come out of him. I said, this thing comes from the pit of hell itself. All sickness and disease. I don't care what anybody tells you. Sickness and disease is either directly or indirectly caused by the devil. So I said, come out of him in the name of Jesus. And I cursed that thing and commanded it to die and for those tumors in his brain to pass out of his body in Jesus' name. I said, now then, Richard, stand up. And he looked up at me, and his wife said, Sir, he's immobile from the waist down. I said, Ma'am, would you please be quiet? There's no faith in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I said, Richard, 
believe God and stand up. He looked up at me and I told him, I said, in the name of Jesus, stand up. So he just put strength in his legs and he just sprang out of that wheelchair and stood straight up. It startled him and his wife and everybody else, you know, because he exercised his authority Uh and he sprang up. And, of course, I saw the doubt come all over his face. Mm -hmm. Here he is standing up, a man that could not be, I mean, he could not move. Mm -hmm. His legs from the waist down was totally immobile. He couldn't even pick them up, put them on the stand. Somebody had to do that. And here he is standing. And, of course, doubt come all over him. So I said, Richard, quickly, before the doubt gets through to you, I said, take a step. And he stood there a minute. I said, Richard, take a step. He took one step. He picked one leg up, took one step, and he fell flat on the floor. I told him, I said, well, you did good. I said, guarantee you did good. I got a couple of guys up there. I said, you guys help me put him back in a wheelchair. We put him back in a wheelchair. I put my hands on his back, commanded the tumors to go ahead and all of them dissipate, commanded them to leave and not come back in Jesus' name. And I told him, I said, Richard, I guarantee you because God made you the promise. He told me clearly in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, to drive out the devil with his name and then to lay hands on the sick and he'll heal you. I said, it's a done deal. I said, whatever you do, don't doubt God's word. Because Mark 16, 17 and 18 makes us that guarantee. So he left. Within 30 days, he got the feeling so good. And he got to where he could stand, you know, and walk a little with a walker. So he went back to the doctor. They'd done another complete check on him. And there's not a single sign of a tumor in his brain, his back, or nowhere. And about two months later... Richard came back to my church a few Sundays ago and stood before the congregation and gave him his testimony. It's not going to be long. He's going to be running. He's still a little unstable, a little shaky. But he said, it's not going to be long. I'm going to be completely well. I told him, sure, because Jesus said, and this is, this is what so many people miss. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick, cast out the devil, and they'll recover. Well, a lot of people say, but when Jesus was here, he spoke and the people were all instantly healed. I said, well, as far as we know, that's probably true, but not all of them are instantly here because he put the mud on the man's eyes mm-hmm. and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Mm-hmm. And he did, and then he could see. Then when Jesus, the man that was blind, he spoke to him, and he said, what do you see? And he said, I see people like trees. So he spoke to him again. I said, if Jesus had the Holy Ghost and power without Limit. measure, mm-hmm. and we got it with measure, then that just goes to show that we're not quite as powerful as he was, so when we speak in his name, I said, he does it the way he wants to. So I said, I've come to realize that when you stand on God's promises with no doubt in your heart, none, it always happens, just like the king says. Glory to God. And so that's what you've got to learn to do. And, but here's where people miss it. First of all, they won't confess their sin. In fact, last time I was out here, I've had several people, and some of them were elderly people, that called me and said, I've never heard a preacher, never in my life, and I've been in church 30, 40, 50 years, I've never heard a preacher associate sickness and disease with sin. Well, I don't know where they, they didn't read the same they book I read. They read the same book. <laughs> this book here, clearly, from cover to cover, when you go all the way back to the nation of Israel, every time they walked without sin, they had no sickness and disease. Because God made them that promise. But every time they begin to sin... Sickness and disease begin to come upon them. So that same thing works today. If you walk in faith under the law of faith, you're free from the law, from the old law. You're not under the law at all. 
but you have to walk in obedience to the Word, Amen. to walk in faith. Amen. The minute you start thinking something evil, in fact, you don't even have to commit the sin. That's right. All you got to do is think the sin mm-hmm. and meditate on the sin. Mm-hmm. And when you do, you literally fall from grace. Mm-hmm. When you fall from grace, that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. According to the Word of God, you just fell from grace and you fall back under the law. Mm-hmm. So now then you're under the law, so now you're guilty. So now that's where the evil spirits have the authority to I run. Guess. And they mm-hmm. run free. Because now then if you're living in sin or doing something that's sin, and you're not walking in obedience to the Word, well... When you even think or act on sin, you're guilty, you fall from grace, and the devil comes to get you. And then sickness and disease and all kinds of things comes upon you. Wow. But if you walk in obedience to the Word and not walk in sin, I have a lot of people tell me, Thurman, we're just unworthy sinners. Well, I used to be an unworthy sinner. But when Jesus cleaned me up, he made me a new creature in Christ, didn't he, Tommy? Yes, he did. And when he cleaned me up, he says, now then, God forbid that you should sin anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's not just in there once or twice. That's in the Bible all over the place that we're supposed to not sin. Mm -hmm. So if you go through life saying, I'm a sinner, then you're calling things that Jesus cleaned up, you're calling them not clean. And, of course, I think about Peter, you know, there, whenever he was there with the vision, when the Lord says, Peter, kill and eat of all these reptiles and everything. He said, no, Lord, never. No unclean thing has ever entered my mouth. He said, Peter, how dare you call things that I've cleaned unclean? Mm -hmm. Of course, what he was showing you about going over to minister to the Gentiles. Right. But still... That's the same thing the Lord's trying to tell us. If we go through life, like as a Southern Baptist, many, many, many years of my life as a Southern Baptist, I was taught I was an unworthy sinner. Mm -hmm. So by seeing myself as an unworthy sinner, you know, I didn't even try to walk without sin. You know, Mm -hmm. so something comes along, you know, you're going to use a word of profanity or maybe a guy wants you to smoke a cigarette, although I didn't do much of that at all when I was a kid. And some of them want you to drink a beer with them or whatever. Well, I didn't do much of that either. And I'm grateful that I didn't have that past like some people. Drugs and stuff like that, never. i never done those kind of things. But as long as you're taught that you're an unworthy sinner, so what's the big deal? You know, to one more sin. Mm -hmm. So what's one more sin? Well, one more sin will kill you. Mm -hmm. If you don't realize who you are, that might be the sin that you commit. That's the one that's going to allow the enemy to come to you, to put sickness and disease on you, to kill you. Because Ananias and Sapphira in the Word of God, they just done one sin. And they just lied. One lie. That's right. And that lie killed them both. Mm -hmm. Did it out. Thurman, I'm looking at the clock here and I'm thinking, since you were here, we have gone on a couple more satellites. Oh, okay. And people have no idea who you are and how you got here. Oh, okay. Um, do you think we could take just a few minutes and tell people how come you're... How God got you to this place. That's right. And how they can get there, too. Yes. Uh, I will I will say, Al, uh, my walk, I, I've been a Southern Baptist. Like I said, raised in a Baptist church. Mother and dad were great Christians. I went to church all my life, but I had no idea how powerful God was until about 27 years ago. 27 years ago, I had a brand new baby girl and a two-year-old baby son and i went in to study the word of god and i was in deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 
and I was going to teach a Bible study lesson from a Southern Baptist uh, study guide, and that was the Scripture. And when I read that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, for the first time in my life, right there, I heard this authoritative voice of the Lord say, Son, I have a message for you in the next few verses. Now, I had never, I'd been a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. I was very active in the church. I mean, I was very active. But I had never heard that authoritative voice. I had never heard anybody say they'd heard that authoritative voice. If they had had have heard it, they never told me. So I didn't know what to think about this. Because if you're a Christian and you're going to church all your life and all of a sudden you hear this voice, it shocked me. In fact, I turned to see the voice. And when I turned, there was nobody there. But then I realized what it said. And so then I began to consume these next few verses. And what it was, he was telling me what I needed to do if I wanted my children to walk with God. Now, he's telling everybody that, just like he did me. But I got a rhema word from God, a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ that that book had a special meaning for any one of us that will believe it that day. But I happened to get to hear this magnificent voice, which was wonderful. So I began to do what he told me. I really began to read the Word every day. For that night, I started reading the Word of God every day to my children and praying over my children at home. And after a while, I asked my wife to come in with me, and finally she did. And so for the next many years, we read the Word of God and prayed over our children every night. But a couple of years later, he really got my attention. I was an engineer. Now, I mean, I've been an airline pilot, you know, and I've been an engineer, mechanical engineer. I've built buildings and all kinds of stuff uh, uh, all, all over the world and did all kinds of crazy things, designed equipment and all kinds of stuff. So I was a man that loved God, but I was not in the ministry. But as the Lord started talking to me, uh, two years later, I was working for a large corporation with their corporate office, which was in Houston. And I was going to go by there that morning since I was a regional engineer. I traveled all over the southern half of the United States and do my paperwork. Well, that morning I got to thinking about a project I was going to do, and I forgot it. And so I went right on out to the project site, and I'm out there about 9 o'clock on Monday morning, and I'm in under there, and there's 20,000 pounds of steel I'm in under. And I'm working on some stuff, and all of a sudden I hear the Lord's voice a second time. He said, Son, you forgot to do your paperwork this morning. I said, I said, Lord, that's right, I did. But I said, Lord, I just like 15 minutes under here, and I'll run right back over there and do it. He said, no, son, I want you to go do it right now. Okay. So, you know, so I didn't have a clue what was going on, so I just crawled out my there and stood up and took the second step, and the supporting structure holding that 20,000 pounds of steel exploded. That 20,000 pounds of steel come crashing down right where I was five seconds before. When I finally recovered myself, after I run, stumbled, fell, everything else, I looked up and I said, Lord, Lord. I said, that verse in 1 Corinthians six nineteen is just taking on a whole new meaning to me. I am not my own, but I'm bought with a price. Now, see, that's true for every Christian. We don't belong to ourselves. When we partook of that cup, that cup of wine, that cup of juice, when we tuck that cup and sipped of it, we transferred our temple to him Mm -hmm. and he became our savior and now then we technically have no authority Mm -hmm. or control technically over this it belongs to him but we still run our business like it belongs to us but anyway it belongs to him but talk on a new revelation to me and the lord began to continue to give me more revelation 
from the Word of God, understanding, revealing to me the truths of this book. Because as a Baptist, things about faith, I had no idea. But I'm reading the Word with a new set of eyes. Heard his voice twice now. And that's unusual. I still have never heard a person. I've never told anybody at this point because I know they're going to lock me up if I tell them God's talking to me. So I'm a little bolder now than I was then. But uh, back in those days, I, I didn't know anybody. So a couple more years go uh, by, and my wife and daughter and my son one night uh, were going to go down to see mother and dad. And we went down, had a little 71 Toyota that was a few years old. We bought it brand new. We were going down Highway 377 to Goldsweight, and we got down to Granbury. Again, it was 9 o'clock on Friday night. Amazing how you remember all these things exactly when they happen, when the Lord does these things. My little car quit running, and I pulled off under a street light there and got out and took the, raised the hood up and took the gas line out. I told my wife, I said, honey, turn over the starter. And so she spun it over and no gas. And I said, oh, shoot. I said, here I am, 9 o'clock on Friday night out of town in a foreign car. I said, I'm dead in the water. Lord, what am I going to do? You know, it's amazing how we talk to God, but we don't realize he's listening. You know what I mean, right? Uh So just as clear, he spoke to me. He said, son, did I not tell you in my word to ask anything in my name and I'll do it? I said, yes, Lord. Since I've been reading about faith several places, I've heard you say that. He said, well, and I thought, so, Lord, you mean you really mean those things? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of strange that he made us all these promises. And we don't work on a Toyota. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't believe him. And so, anyway, I said, okay, Father. And I quoted a couple of those verses, you know, that uh, like John 14, 13 and 14. And uh, there's several of them all over the scriptures there that guarantees we can have anything we ask the Father in the name of Jesus. Providing, of course, we're walking in obedience to his word and we're not sinning. You know, mm-hmm. you can't be a sinner living in sin and get God to answer your mm-hmm. prayer because he says in Psalm 66, 18, I will not hear your prayer if you're living in iniquity or sin. So mm-hmm. you've got to make sure your sins are confessed. That's right. So anyway, I asked the Father in Jesus' name to provide enough gas for that car to run 50 miles an hour until I got my wife and kids home. Now, I don't know why I asked for 50, but again, I believe that was from the Lord because that was a special lesson again teaching me what faith is. So... Now, he said, when you ask, you must believe you've received, with no doubt in your heart. So, I believe it's done now. I don't ask her to turn the starter over to see if there's gas there. I know it's got to be there, because I ask in faith. So, I just put the gas line in, put the air cleaner on, shut the hood. Went and called mother and told her we were going to be a little late, but we'd be there. And put the tools in the trunk, shut the trunk down, and got in the car. And my wife said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going home. She said, I thought you said the fuel pump don't work. I said, it don't. And I reached over and hit the starter, and it started. And she looked at me strange, and we backed out and started down the road. And that was the first time I ever heard the audible voice of the devil. The enemy spoke to me right there. He said, now, you don't think that God's really going to pump gas for an old unworthy critter like you? I said, oh, devil, you ain't, I ain't going there. Now, my wife's hearing one side of this conversation. <laughs> I'm speaking out loud. I now know in the spirit world I'm hearing this voice, but she was not hearing it. Mm-hmm. She was hearing me say, Devil, you're not going to get through to me. I'm not going to doubt. I'm going home. The Lord's pumping gas for this car. So she didn't say anything because she couldn't understand this one-sided conversation. We get out the edge of Granbury where the speed limit went back up to 55. And I pushed the accelerator down, and the car would only run 50. So we drove along there 50 miles, uphill, downhill, round corners. And I thought, this is strange. 
but then it realized, I realized I had to ask for 50. Now, here's the thing about God. He's a faith God. Don't ask him to heal your ear if you've got a problem with this ear and your eyes and something wrong with your stomach. Because if you ask him only to heal your ear, that's all he's going to do. He's not going to do something. That's why I've learned that when people come in, a lot of times if they hear me teach a while, they'll come up and say, I need a Jesus overhaul from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Well, that works well because I've had him heal many people of many numerous things. Amen. When you ask him by faith to heal every problem they have. But anyway, the Lord run that car for a couple hours. So that's, that's building my faith all the time. And then a couple of years later, he brought me into the healing portion of this. And there was a man that's still alive today by the name of Ed Brock. The man's still alive, him and his wife, Ruthie, they're uh, in the Flower Mound. And they used to go to Lakeland Baptist Church where I went to church. And, again, they were the perfect picture of health. Those two, that couple was beautiful. I mean, if you ever saw a couple you thought was perfect physically, it was that couple. They rode bicycles all the time. You know, they were beautiful, slim, trim, everything. But here Ed comes up 42 years old. And you'd think since he took care of his body physically, he ought to live to be 80 or 90. You'd think, right? He goes to church every Sunday. You would think he's taking care of his body spiritually. But he really wasn't. He was only giving God one day a week. Mm. The rest of the week, he's Mr. Businessman. Mm-hmm. I see, that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's really dangerous. And a lot of people don't understand that. But when God says you must make me the Most High God your dwelling place... That doesn't mean just on Sunday, on Sunday morning, and maybe Sunday night. If you live there, you're living in very dangerous territory. Very dangerous territory. It's a dangerous place to live. If you really want to be safe, you need to take care of your bodies physically and spiritually. Now, physically, you need to eat right. You need to watch what you eat. You need to not to eat excess. You know, if what you're eating is putting extra pounds on you... You need to take authority over that and quit overeating. You need to do some exercise or something. Because God planned for this temple to be a slim and trim temple so it can work and do things. He didn't plan for it to, you know, be grossly overweight. Mm -hmm. But so many people today, especially today, we live in fast food restaurants and we eat the junk food so much. And so... And we don't watch what we eat and we eat too many ice creams and fats and sugars and... I mean, carbonated drinks, you know, some people drink three or four or five a day. If they knew what that did to the acidic level in their body, they'd stop drinking those, you know, maybe one a day. But I've, I've heard many people tell me that you drink one 10 or 12-ounce drink a day. It'll take 40 glasses of clean, clear water to bring the acid, acidic level back down normal in your wow. body. Just one. Just one. Oh yeah. Okay, there was a uh, there was a man that came to one of my healing schools, and this man was grossly overweight. I mean, he must have weighed 350 pounds. He was he was in dangerous, dangerous territory. Mm-hmm. He came up after a healing school one Saturday and asked me if I would pray. He said, "Well, Thurman, I repent for abusing my body like I've abused it," and said, "I realize I need to lose a lot of weight." And I said, "Okay." So I asked the Lord, I said, this man, sorry, he's abused his temple. And he wants you to help him supernaturally lose this weight. 
four months later, that man came back to me, and he had lost already over 100 pounds wow. in four months. Now, that's God. I mean, I don't know anybody that can lose 100 pounds in four months. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you eat or how much exercise you exercise. If God's not in it, mm-hmm. you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's impossible to right. do. But God did that for that man. So I've seen the Lord do all these wonderful things. So as the, as the question you were asked when I got it to get me into the healing ministry, the Lord's building my faith. You know, he's starting to talk to me. He's got a special plan for me. I don't have a clue what it is. I mean, here I'm just an engineer. I'm an airline pilot. You know, and I'm doing all these things. I'm building buildings. When the airlines I was flying for, I flew for a couple of airlines, and they both went... Well, I got laid off from one of them, went to Europe, flew for another. They went bankrupt. By the time they went bankrupt, I'm too old to fly as a pilot anymore. So I, I come back and start working as an engineer and doing other things. And the Lord starts training me in all this stuff. And as he starts training me, he showed me what faith is and how it works, because I certainly didn't understand it, didn't know. But now I'm learning what faith is. And then in 1986, the Lord began to show me about reveal to me about healing. I mean, I'm raised in a Baptist church. I've never seen nobody prayed for in a Baptist church and get healed in my life, you know. I mean, up until that point. I mean, we pray for sick people. We didn't know how to pray. We didn't use the Scripture to pray for people. And if they got well, why don't, we didn't expect them to get well because this is the way we'd pray. <laughs> Father, if it be your will, uh-huh. heal sister so-and-so. Or, Father, yeah. when they go to the doctor tomorrow, help the doctor to get all the cancer. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. We didn't, never prayed expecting God to do something miraculous. Mm-hmm. So I was right in there with them. But anyway, because of a lack of knowledge, but in 1986, uh, one Wednesday night, I came in from an out-of-town trip. And my wife met me at the door. She said, honey, Ed Brock has had surgery today, and he's not doing very well. She said, I think you need to go see him. And he's up at the Louisville in the hospital. I said, okay. So when I got in my vehicle, I drove back up there, and I found him. And when I found Ed, I knocked on the door. And this lovely little bride, Ruthie, she's, they've been married about 25 years, I think, at that time. I said, Ruthie, how's Ed? And she said, he's no good, Thurman. They opened him up today and looked inside of him, and he has stage 4 lymphoma, terminal cancer in every organ of his body. It has just a few weeks, maybe a couple of months left to live. Mm-hmm. There's no hope. She said, I asked the doctors, Doc, how about a chemo or a radiation, uh, you know, 50-50 mm-hmm. or... He said, no, Miss Brock, there's nothing can help your husband. He has this last stage rapid growing cancer in every organ of his body. Wow. It's over for your husband. Wow. So when she told me that, just as clear, I heard the Lord speak to me. Now, Ruthie was standing within three feet of me right in front of me. She didn't hear a thing. That's the first time I realized this authoritative voice that I hear, nobody else hears it. I thought everybody could have heard it. That's what it sounded yeah, audible to so me. so loud. <laughs> he said, son, tell Ed to call the men of the church to pray over him and I'll heal him. Now, for a Southern Baptist deacon that's never seen anybody miraculously healed, that'll put your faith to the test <laughs> with stage four lymphoma cancer. Mm-hmm. But on the way home that night, I remember as I'm walking down the corridor. Now, you've got to realize back in those days, I'm a normal, traditional Christian. I got God in a little bitty box. Little bitty box. I remember walking down that corridor looking up and said, Lord, you didn't understand what she said. She said he has terminal cancer. And there's nothing can help him. I can just envision now God looking down at me and smiling and said, Son, (laughs) if you ever get a hold of who I am, 
<laughs> but that's where I was. I didn't know who he was. I had so little knowledge. But I said, Lord, you also told me to test every spirit. I remember reading that in the book of John. So I said, I'm going home tonight, and I'm going to look in this Bible. And I'm going to have to have something in this Bible that confirms beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'll heal, or I'm not about to go tell that man, you know, with stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer. And every doctor says he can't get well, and here I'm going to tell him that God wants to heal him, and I've never seen God heal anybody at that time. You can understand where I'm coming from, yes, right? absolutely. So I go home, and for the first time in my life, I get this book down, and I begin to look in this book on topic healing. And I begin to look through Scripture. So hour after hour, and finally I come up on a guarantee in God's Word to heal anybody in the church every time. But the church don't believe this. James 5:14, 15 and 16. And the Word of God says, Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith. Not just any old prayer, but the prayer of faith or the prayer of trust. And the reason people don't see this work is they say, Oh, God, if it be your will, mm -hmm. please heal brother mm -hmm. so-and-so. Mm -hmm. You might as well have stayed at home because there's no faith in that. You pray the prayer of faith. If it be your will, that's the worst yeah, that's thing you right. can yeah. say, yeah. If you want to know what God's will is, you look it up in the Word, and you find His will is this book. And when you look it up in the Word, then you find that James 5.14, where He says, Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church, and then the elders of the church are to anoint them with oil, and pray the prayer of faith. And it says, and if they do that, the Lord will raise them up. The Lord will heal you. And he says, if your sickness is due to a sin, I, the Lord, will even forgive the sin. So he said, therefore, confess your faults one to another. Now, see, people go and have somebody pray over them and start to leave. And he said, do you think you're healed? And they said, well, I certainly hope so. Mm -hmm. Well, forget it. It won't work. Mm -hmm. You've got to know so. You gotta believe the word. God is a they faith just God. They committed a sin there against God that they got asked for forgiveness. That's right. That's absolutely right. So, right there was another sin. You know, they just didn't believe. So that's mm -hmm. sin again. So you have to confess all those sins, and you gotta believe Him. And then He says, after you confess your faults one to another, He said, you confess those faults one to another that you may be healed. Then He says, the effectual. Fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Well, where is the group of men or the man that you can find that's willing to fight that fight of faith? That fight of faith can be fought by a man or a woman. Now, by knowing that, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. That's what I tried to tell Cheryl before we got married. Of course, I didn't know she was going to be my maid at that time at all. But when her daddy was sick in the hospital, mm -hmm. I told you, you'll have to be effectual, and you'll have to be fervent, and you'll have to know you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. I said, if you know that, when you walk in that hospital room with the Word of God in your hand, knowing that you've got every sin confessed, and knowing that you're the righteousness of God in Christ, I said, then you can drive away those devils, uh -huh. and you can lay hands on your daddy. And if you'll stay in there with no doubt, I said, I'm going to guarantee you that your daddy, not being a spiritual man, there's no telling how many devils of hell that's attacked him and attacked him legally over the years. I said, you're going to have an extremely difficult battle on your hands. But I said, if you're willing to fight the fight of faith, you can win it. 
But I said, you'll have to have no doubt in your heart any time along this path. Because if you do, you're going to lose your daddy. She said, I'll fight that fight, and I'm not going to have any doubt. Well, see, when, you, when she was miraculously healed two years ago, that was the first experience she'd ever seen anybody healed. But she knows she was healed. And so, of course, in the, the last year and a half after that, coming to my church, she hears testimonies sure. every Sunday. I mean, we have two, three, four, five, sometimes six testimonies every Sunday of the magnificent things that God does. You know, people, because what I'm doing, I'm teaching people how to walk in this. Yes. You know, I'm not out there laying hands on everybody, Absolutely. casting devils out of everybody right. myself. I'm training other people how to do this themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they're going out and doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing. In fact, I'll give you a tremendous example of a, this, a, just a precious, beautiful little daughter of the king in our church. That This little woman, when she started coming to my church, it so lit her fire. Now, she's been to seminary. You know, she's graduated from seminary. She's already an ordained minister. And she didn't know the gospel. If you'd asked her before, I mean, I'm serious now, oh, Tommy. Oh, yes, I You know. just don't realize the people that go to seminary that don't mm-hmm. believe this book. That's right. In fact, I'm going to make this statement right here on this airway today that the diff- most difficult people to convince this book means what it says is doctors of theology mm-hmm. and pastors of big churches. Yes. Amen. They're That's the most right. difficult ones to believe. You have mm-hmm. to believe that this book means mm-hmm. what it says. Because they've been taught it's just a They've been taught book. it's wrong. Now, I can take a congregation. I can walk into a church, and I go speak in any church anybody invites me to come to. Any place. I don't care if it's a church or just a meeting in a hotel. I go speak. All people need to do is just give me airfare or whatever to get there, or if it's not too far, driving, and a place to stay. And give me a love offering, and I'll come teach these things to them. And I go all over the country and teach these things to people. But the people that don't let me come to their churches is pastors of big churches. Mm-hmm. They will, sure. Their people will get a hold of these videos that I make, and they'll give them to one of their pastors. And the guy said, there's no way I'd let this guy come to my church. I, I've never understood that. I just don't understand how the people themselves are so blessed. In fact, I went out to Phoenix here a while back. A guy saw me on television similar to this out of the Dallas area. He called and wanted to know if I'd come out there. I told him, sure, I'll come out there. All I need is an airplane ticket, you know, and a place to stay, and a love offering. He said, we'll get you out here. Well, he went to his Baptist preacher. Baptist preacher would not let him come. He let him see a couple of my videos. He said, absolutely not. He said, but he's a Baptist. He said, don't make any difference. He don't teach what I believe. Mm. He wouldn't let me come. So the guy called me and said, we're going to rent a hotel suite, and we're going to, going to maybe hold 100 people. 50 or 100 people may be there. Will you come? I said, sure, I'll come. So they rented a hotel suite, and I went out. And that Baptist preacher came. And one of his deacons had had a stroke come. And another man that lived down the street, which walked on two three-legged canes, he could hardly walk, he came. And so I taught the Word of God for about three and a half, four hours that afternoon with about a 30-minute break in the middle. Then I said, anybody wants to be healed, I'll pray for you, and Jesus will heal you if you believe him. Well, that Baptist preacher came up and said, I've had back trouble for years. Would you pray for me? And I said, Sure. I laid hands on him and rebuked his pain. And then one of his deacons had had a stroke. He could hardly get around. He came up and I prayed for him. And then that old gentleman that had the two canes he had to walk on could barely get around. I prayed for him. Of course, I prayed for a lot of other people. Well, after the day was over, the next morning, uh, I didn't leave till like 1.30 or 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon. So I told the man that took me out there, I said, well, why don't we go to your church this morning? I said, you know, they wouldn't mind if I just come over there and... 
you know, go to church with you. They wouldn't let me preach there, but I said, let me go over there and, and go to Bible study in church with us. So I walked in, and here's this deacon that had the stroke. The guy said, Mr. Scrivener, what are you doing here today? I said, well, I come over here to, you know, go to church to here today. He said, you prayed for me yesterday, and I am completely healed. He said, I'm going to let you teach the adults. And so he said, I'm going to get them all together in the, in the main sanctuary. I want you to teach the adults this morning. I said, okay. Pastor walks in about that time. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to let him teach the adults this morning because I'm healed. He said, my back's healed too. He said, get the kids out of the nursery and everywhere. Bring everybody <laughs> in the sanctuary. They brought everybody in the sanctuary. Praise Give me the whole God. two hours in that Baptist church. Glory to God. The whole thing. And I prayed for you. And then whenever it was over, that old man that came in on the two three-legged canes, completely healed, walked on his own down to the front and fell on his face before God and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Oh, oh, oh. He wasn't even saved. You know what we need to Glory do? Glory to God. Can, I, can we have one song? I want to visit here with Thurman, and we're going to come back with an idea. I want to hit you give, with this. Give him a chance to get it. But I don't want to do it on the air. <laughs> and uh, if we can do that. Can you give me that one song? We're, we're getting lots of prayer requests for okay. you to pray over, and um, so we'll get those too. If I knew Sermon a little better, I'd hit him with this, but I want to. Uh, can I ask you while we're waiting for the song? Uh, are high cholesterol and manic depression due to sin? Are they what, ma'am? Due to sin? Oh, absolutely. I think every kind of sin. Every kind of sickness and disease is due to sin. See, Romans 14:23 makes a statement. It says, anything you do that's not of faith is sin. Mm-hmm. Anything. Mm-hmm. So, what do people do? They don't pray over their food before they eat it. Mm-hmm. That's a sin. You're supposed to take food. You're supposed to sanctify it with the Word of God mm-hmm. and pray over it with blessings and thanksgiving mm-hmm. before you take it. In fact... I saw under a microscope a a glass of water or a molecule out from a glass of water and how it was fragmented and what it looked like under a very powerful microscope. And praying over that water, I watched that water come back into a perfect molecule, praying over it. Really? Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. It's amazing what prayers of faith do. Wow. I mean, but that's just like when, can you imagine taking a human being that's got something wrong with them and you lay your hands on them and pray the prayer of faith on them and a tumor literally Mm -hmm. disappear in Mm -hmm. their brain? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine laying hands over the face of a little three-year-old girl that her face is tore all to pieces? She's unrecognizable. Don't touch her, but put your hands over them and quote the Word of God over her and quoted every day for two weeks, and in two weeks' time, the little face, which is tore all to pieces, unrecognizable, does not have a mark or a scar on it. Now, that's my own granddaughter yes. I've done that to. She yes. was in a car wreck three years ago, and today that little girl does not have a scar or a mark. But also, her brain stem was severed in that incident. Mm-hmm. Her brain stem was literally severed, and her eyes were disconnected from her brain. And the doctor said it's impossible for her to live. But yet I took this book with these promises, began to quote these promises, and I stood on them with no doubt in my heart. And, of course, the little girl today is six years old, and she's totally well, running and playing. Mm-hmm. In fact, she was a flower girl in our wedding Sunday. And then you ought to have seen her after the wedding was over, 
we had we we danced several dances in our church together. I mean, that's not a tradition. I said, you know, that's not a traditional Baptist church either. <laughs> but if I wanted to dance with my wife in my own church to some beautiful songs, I'd dance with her. At your and wedding, several, why not? Several of the other people danced too, you uh-huh. know. So we were not doing any bad kind of dancing. Of we were just doing not. a beautiful dance together. You were rejoicing well, after about in the Lord. two or three of those, my granddaughter wanted to dance with her granddaddy, you know. Uh-huh. So, man, she run and jumped and played and she danced all over the place. And I thought, <clears> Lord. How awesome you are to think that three years ago that little girl was laying there and they said it's impossible for her to live. Impossible. And today because of the Word of God and standing on it with no doubt in my heart, Mm -hmm. completely healed, Mm -hmm. running and playing, Mm -hmm. brain stems reconnected, Mm -hmm. eyes reconnected, she sees everything Mm -hmm. all done by faith. But yes, all those things that happen to us are because we don't believe the Word. Now, what happens is, Tommy, the most important thing is learning how to speak. Now, anybody that would like to have, all my tapes are free and postpaid. All people's got to do is call me, and I will send them teaching tapes, and I have two 90-minute tapes on the tongue. And that's the most important thing that we learn how to do is talk. Now, I'm not talking about speaking in unknown tongues. That's right. I'm talking about using what you got in your mouth Mm -hmm. to speak whatever language you speak. Controlling it. Mm-hmm. And controlling it. Uh-huh. In fact, the Word of God in the book of James, chapter 3, is so powerful about the tongue. It says mm-hmm. the man that learns to control his tongue will control his whole body. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't control your tongue, you will defile your whole mm-hmm. body. So when you speak words of sickness and disease, you literally open the door to the demonic world to come in and put sickness on you. Mm-hmm. So if, if a symptom comes upon you, and a pain or whatever, and somebody's immediately we're trained to say, oh, I guess I'm coming down with diabetes or something because of certain symptoms. And if you start speaking that, guess what will happen? Mm-hmm. It will happen to you. Yes. You must learn how to control your tongue. That is the most important thing you learn to do as a Christian. Amen. You must never speak sickness and disease. And you cannot do it without the Word. That's right. You cannot do it. And the people who said, well... This is what I had before I had this operation. Mm-hmm. Is it coming back on me? That's right. It will if you let it. Yeah, and people come in and say, Thurman, my arthritis. I say, my arthritis? That belongs to the devil. Mm-hmm. Don't claim it. Because if you claim it, if you believe the Word, the Word says you were healed on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now, I realize a lot of people don't believe this. In fact, a lot of people, since I've stepped into the healing ministry, have come against me very powerfully. Mm-hmm. And saying, Thurman, you're too much too hung up on healing. Well, that's the gift God gave me. Yes, it is. So that's one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. If God gives a man the gift of healing, then he needs to learn all he can learn about that gift. Mm-hmm. And he needs to act on that gift. And people say, but Thurman, salvation is much more important. I'll agree. Salvation is very important. And they, I've even had some people tell me, well, healing is not important. Hey, if you're well, it's not important. But if you're laying on your deathbed with terminal cancer, all of a sudden it takes on a whole new meaning. It's very important. And so it becomes very important. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I think healing is a very important thing. Obviously, God thought it was, too. I tell you what, scratch the song. (laughs) Because here's what I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me to say, just go on. You're telling me there's all kinds of prayer requests Mm -hmm. in here. Sure. And so I think what we need to do... uh, you just lead your following on what which way you want to go. What, how do you want to handle all? The phones are going to just keep ringing off the hook. 
Well, all I can say is, you know, if they call in, we'll, we'll pray for them. Mm-hmm. And, but the, uh, the thing about it is you, people must realize, Al, that you have to have faith to be healed. Don't you have to get the body cleaned up that's, first? That's it. You have to have faith. And before you can have faith, you have to learn how to walk in love. Because Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Your faith worketh by love. Now, if you've got a grudge against somebody in your family, you've been speaking evil about someone, basically if you've got a grudge or unforgiveness towards someone, the chances of getting you healed is zero. Mm-hmm. So before they start doing all this calling, that's right. let's get the basics out of the way. The very first thing they must know, you must, number one, there may be even people watching tonight that are not Christians. Well, God heals them too. Yeah. He heals all. But the first thing he wants to do to a person that's not a Christian, he wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. But that, again, takes faith. You have to believe by faith. Now, that the only thing you have to do to get born again is just say, Lord, I believe, Father, that Jesus came and died on the cross for me. And if he died on the cross for me, he paid the price for my sins. And I accept that free gift. And I believe that Jesus did that for me. And that's all you got to do. But you got to believe that. You can't just voice it. Mm-hmm. You got to believe it really is true. Mm-hmm. And if you die, you know you're going to go to heaven. That's right. Now, once you make that decision, then you know you got Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And then if you die, you're going to go to heaven. But when you do that, you're, you become a new creature in Christ. Now then, you have some requirements. You're supposed to get into the Word. You're not supposed to go back out there and live like you lived yesterday. Mm-hmm. Because if you go back out there and live like you did yesterday, you're not going to learn anything about the Word. The Word clearly says you are to renew your mind daily with the Word. So until you learn who you are, you can never learn to walk in faith. So by not knowing the Word, you can't walk in faith. You may be the best man on the block. You may be walking in love. You may not hold any grudges, but you may still be sick. And the reason you're sick is because you don't know Jesus healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago. I was raised in the best Christian home anybody could ever be raised in. I had the best Christian mother any man could ever have. My mother was the most lovable, wonderful, kind, gentle woman, never raised her voice to me. I never heard my dad and mother have an argument in all their 50-plus years of married life. Not one time. It was a very unique home. I didn't realize that at the time. But... We had a unique home. But my daddy didn't know how to walk by faith, and my mother didn't know what faith was. And so I didn't know what it was. And so I was a good churchgoer, and I did read the Bible a little, but just by not knowing the promises, the devil had no problem put sickness on me. I was down in my back a half a dozen times. I walked on crutches one week, a whole week. I spent a week in a hospital and, and many other times down. I had double pneumonia one time. I mean, I just had flus and sickness and and, uh, colds. I thought that was a normal thing everybody had to have. So whenever a symptom would come up on you, the first thing you say is, wow, it's that time of year again, and I got a thotty nose this morning, and I guess I'm coming down with the flu. (laughs) Well, I come down with the flu for two or three or four weeks. Well, you take medication, but I didn't know what faith was. But when I began to learn what it was, that it requires you to walk in love. Now, once you become a Christian... Once you become a Christian, this book has many requirements. You're now delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. Now then it requires you to walk in love. 
You're supposed to love everybody. Now, you're not supposed to hate anybody. You're not supposed to talk evil about no one. And if you're doing those things, you must repent. Amen. You must repent from those sins. If you have a grudge against anyone, in fact, I have seen numerous people on their deathbeds because they <laughs> held a grudge against someone. I mean, many. when I learned that principle from God's Word, I could not tell you tonight how many people I've been to hospitals, and most of them are men. Most of them are men that were on their deathbeds with some kind of incurable disease, incurable uh, tumors or whatever, when I found out that their problem was because they held a grudge against someone. As long as that sin remains, the curse remains, and you cannot get them healed because but when the sin's there, the curse is there, and you can't get them healed. What you have to do is make sure that they know they must forgive those people from their heart, not just lip service. Mm-hmm. The way you can tell if you forgive them, you say, okay, Lord, I make an act of my will. I forgive this man or this woman, and I'm going to walk in love toward this person from this day forth. So you do that, and you think you're okay. Next week, you walk into the grocery store, and you look down the aisle down there, and there stood that man. And you think, uh-oh, there he is. I'm going to go down another aisle. You did not forgive that man. If you forgave that man, you'd have went down and shook his hand and told him you love him. That's how you can really tell that you forgave. Until you get to where you can do that, you didn't forgive. Mm-hmm. It's still in the back of your heart mm-hmm. somewhere. So you've got to get over that. You can't go there. You've got to walk in love. If you want to walk in divine health, that all boils down to a point. Do you want to walk in divine health? And most people would say, yes, I want to walk in divine health. Under the Old Covenant, God clearly told Israel over and over, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do under my law, then I, God, will take all sickness and disease away from you, and you'll have none. Mm -hmm. He made that to Israel many times. And as long as they walked in obedience to the Word, they had no problem Mm -hmm. with sickness and disease. But the minute they started sinning, I mean, you know, just like Achan, you know, there, Jericho, you know, That's right. whenever he stole just one little thing, right? Now, see, this is what's devastating to learn. One man did something he was not supposed to be, do. But then when they went out to war the next time, how many men lost their lives that were innocent? Yeah, but there's a bunch of them. About 30, 30 or 35. Of them. Yeah. I forget the exact number. It was either 32 or 35 men lost their lives. Well, Joshua said, Lord, what's going on? And finally, he got on his face before God and prayed all day. Now, see, that's where we miss it. Mm-hmm. We think, God, what's the problem? And we get up, he don't say nothing, so we get up and walk off. Well, Joshua, one of God's called out men, he didn't get the answer in five minutes either. He didn't get it in five hours. But he stayed on his face all day before God, seeking God. Finally, the Lord told him, said, Joshua, get up off your get face. Up. There's <laughs> sin in the camp. That's mm-hmm. what's wrong. I didn't go with you. Because of sin in the camp. Now, you want to know what's wrong with us today? There's sin, sin in our in camp. camp. Mm-hmm. We don't realize what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So we go out there and commit all kinds of sin and don't know it's sin. In fact, in the church today, one of the biggest sins that I see today among young people is fornication. They're going out there and committing sex or living with a man or a woman, mm-hmm. both of them professing to be Christians, mm-hmm. and they don't think that's sin. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you. Under the old law, that would have got both of you stoned till death. That's right. That's what he would have done. So if you've got young people out there that's 
committing fornication or adultery, whatever you want to call it, sex outside of wedlock, I'm telling you, them kids are opening themselves up to demonic spirits. And those demonic spirits are going to come in those kids, and they may not see a manifestation right there. They may see it years later when they marry a person and have a child, and that child is born handicapped. Mm -hmm. That's because of that demonic spirit that came into them way back there when they sinned. You don't know how many men. I had a man come up to me in church the other day. He said, I now know what's wrong. He said, I had seven children. He said, I had six normal ones. My wife and I, we were faithful to each other. We had six normal children. Then he said, like a fool, I went out and committed adultery on my wife. He said, then a, a year later, we had a seventh son, and he's mentally retarded. And that's strange that you'd have six normal children. Then you go out and commit adultery, and then you come back to your own wife and have sex with your wife, and she conceives a year later and has a child. And out of seven children, he's the only one that's handicapped. That's just like a... I know a man one time that had a, got married to a beautiful little girl, and the, she got pregnant, and they had a normal boy. And then about uh, a year and a half or so later, she got pregnant again. Well, she was pregnant with a second boy. And I was a young man in those days. I didn't know the things I know today. But one day I was talking to this boy about being out of town. He said, I had a great time this weekend. I was out of town. But he said, I found a woman out there, and me and her went to the hotel together. I said, you fool, you're married. you got a woman here that's pregnant. He said, yeah, I know, but she don't know, and nobody will ever know because I won't ever tell nobody. Well, let me tell you, when that boy was born, that second was born with cerebral palsy. <sighs> I've, I put this together, looked at it over the years. The Word of God clearly says, no curse comes upon you without a cause. Amen. Proverbs 26, 2. A causeless curse does not come to light. If that scripture is true, people want to know why they're sick. They want to know why they got problems. The first thing they need to do, especially if they're Christians, you need to check out your life. You need to see where your sin is. You need to make sure you're walking obedience to God's Word. And then make sure that you believe the promises. Mm -hmm. I got a man in my church that just the other day. I said that it had been a few months ago. He and his wife both had tremendous problems. They go to a huge church in North Dallas. I mean a huge church. But they heard that one of the ladies in that church had been miraculously healed. After she, Also, she had a 30-year incurable disease. That woman had been to a doctor. She said... 30 years ago, she was in an automobile accident and damaged her back, and the doctors couldn't help her. So for 23 of, the last, of those last 23 years, she had been to a doctor or a chiropractor one to five times a week mm. for 23 years and never been without pain in 23 years. She come to one of my healing schools, and she told me when it come time to pray, she said, I got all my sins confessed, but I already had them all confessed. And she said, Mr. Scrivener, at least 100 people have prayed for me, and nothing's ever happened. I said, well, honey, i got to tell you what's wrong. Number one, you never went to God with a promise when you prayed. And number two, nobody out of those hundred ever prayed for you in faith. I said, today we're going to find a scripture that will guarantee we can have what God says we can have. And you tell me you got all your sins confessed. And you know you're walking in love with no grudges. She said, oh, yeah. So she met all that criteria. We found a scripture that guaranteed we could have what we asked for, for the healing of her back. And then... I told her, I said, now, I'm going to pray in faith for you. I guarantee God's going to do what he promised to do. And I reached over and touched her in the name of Jesus and said, be healed. She was instantly healed. Praise God. Instantly healed. So she's changing all kinds of people's life in her church. 
And she's sending them over there. This one man, Mike, and his wife, Juanita, they started coming over there. And Mike had had, five years ago, had a liver transplant. And they say the liver transplants are only good for about five years. At least that's what they told him. Now he's getting ready to have another one. And they only cost three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Only, only three hundred fifty thousand for a liver transplant. Five years. Peanuts, right? Mm-hmm. Well, again, if you'd ask him, does he know what faith is? He'd have told you yes. But mm-hmm. after a few Sundays in my church, he found out he didn't know what faith mm-hmm. was. He was on fifteen hundred dollars a month worth of medication, also. And after a few Sundays of teaching him what faith was, he he said, Mister Scrivener. Will you pray for me? I now know what faith is, and I believe with all my heart it's a done deal. I went over there, laid hands on him, rebuked the enemy, commanded him to be healed in the name of Jesus. And Mike was instantly healed. And he had another. We asked him to ask the Lord to heal him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet also. He had had a heart murmur since he was born. And the Lord even healed that. That's gone away. His heart's steady. His liver is working perfect. He threw away all the medication. Immediately trusted God and believed Him. And the doctor told him when it called the doc, said, Doc, I ain't going to have that second liver transplant. I've learned what faith is. He said, I am healed. I threw away all my medicine. The doctor said, Mike, in one week you'll be dead. Mm-hmm. And that's been, well, I guess four or five months ago now. And actually, at, his at, testimony, I threw, threw away my hormones that I've been taking for 26 years because I had a complete hysterectomy when I was 30 years old. And because of hearing that testimony, my daughter in, with Thurman prayed, and I threw away all my pills. Wow. I haven't taken them for months just because of that testimony. Uh-huh. We have marvelous testimonies. Praise you know, we have people who see different people, doctors and so on, they'll call and get an appointment. They need to get an appointment to come to your place to get prayed for. <laughs> well, what we do, we have a healing school the second Saturday of every month and one on the fourth Saturday of every month. And we have them at two different locations. And they're on our website. They tell you where they are. they got maps and everything where you can go right to our website. Of course, our website, I'm sure they What if you don't have a computer, though? Well, if you don't have a computer, then you got a telephone. You can call. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm sure they put up our phone number and everything at different times tonight. Uh-huh. But our phone number's been on the screen, our ministry phone number. Uh, you can call us. Uh, you can come. Uh, and, again, everything we do is free. We don't charge. You don't have to register. You know, some some conferences you have to register That's and right. pay big bucks to come That's to. Right. Them. We don't charge nothing. It's free. You come. We even give you our video and audio tapes free. I've realized that a lot of people have been beat up on by the enemy Amen. and can't afford this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't sell anything. I give it all away free. I always have, ever since I've been in the ministry. And God has met all of my needs. I have never been in the red. And I've never asked anybody for a penny. Never. I never ask people for money. Never. Whenever I send out the tapes, I don't even put a letter in there and say, if you'd like to, please send us a donation. I don't Mm -hmm. even say that. Mm -hmm. I just put an envelope in there with our address on it. That's all I put in there. If they want to send us some money back, great. If they don't, that's okay. But I have no problem with people getting our audio and video tapes, listening to them, changing their life, getting healed. I have no problem when they send me a donation. Are both of those conferences that you have in Dallas? <laughs> one of them's in North Dallas and one of them's in Justin, Texas. Now, where Justin. Is that? Well, Justin is just north of Fort Worth, about 25 miles north of Fort Worth. They're about an hour drive apart. <clears throat> but there's, there's a, well, 
again, if anybody wants to come to our healing school, all they got to do is, if they have a computer, go to our website and go go to the website and, and uh, you know, everything under events, all that's listed. Uh, they'll What's show that you. website? The website is www.tlsm.org. TLSM stands for The Living Savior Ministries.org. So they can, they can get a map there to both of them. Uh, the one in Dallas, the second Saturday of every month from 1 to 5. And the fourth Saturday of every month is in Justin, Texas, and it's from 1 to 5. And so we have people healed there every mm-hmm. time we have one. We have miraculous, God shows up and does wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Just does wonderful things, you know. In fact, Cheryl, two years ago, my new wife came to one and was healed of a 30-year incurable disease herself, just like Sharon mm-hmm. Jones. She had had a 30-year incurable disease and been with pain and everything. And, of course, you know, if, if people don't understand, you have to believe God's Word. Mm-hmm. You have to repent of your sins. Mm-hmm. Just like this one man, his wife, works with me in the ministry. And I'll tell this because this man says there's only one man on this earth that his wife loves more than him. And that's me. He says, my wife loves you more than she does me. And she works for me full time in the ministry, Elaine. The reason they do is because her husband had been down for two years with a back injury. One year he'd been down, you know, not able to get out of bed hardly at all. Then the second year he could walk around a little, but he was in pain all the time and he couldn't pick up anything. I mean, he was just in pain. They literally got two audio tapes that I'd made about healing, two of them, and listened to those two tapes on the way out to West Texas one day. They're two hours and 45 minutes long. And at the end of that, he asked the Lord. He said, when that second tape went off, I said, Lord, everything that man said on those tapes is in your word. He said, why have I not been healed? And he said, the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice. He said, because of your unbelief. Uh See, unbelief is a sin. It is. Mm-hmm. Just unbelief, the promises of God. He said, all I did was look up and I said, Lord, I repent for my unbelief. And that's all he had to say. God instantly healed Hallelujah. his back. Mm-hmm. So the next Sunday, they were in my church. And he said, i got to meet you. He said, I just listened to your tapes and got healed. Mm-hmm. That's a, but God. we have that happen all the time. Yeah, sure. People just listen to the tapes. People would never dream to think that unbelief could keep you sick and afflicted. But if you come to the average person and you say, well, just like the other day. I won't name the ministry, but a big ministry, a big Baptist ministry in the United States, the head man of that ministry called me, and he had one of his men that had been down, already a young man in his early 20s. He had already been down with surgery one time. And now then he's down with pain again, and the diagnosis of this young man was, if you don't have surgery in 30 days, said, so either go home and lay down for 30 days or you're, go- you're going to have to have surgery again. So, or you can take steroids and work a little, and you might make it a little while. But he said, if you keep working, you're going to have to have surgery real quick. So the man called me. He said, he heard about my ministry. And he called and said, Thurman, we've heard about your ministry, and we wonder if you would, what you would have to say about what these doctors said. So they told me what the doctor said. And I said, well, I give you a fourth option, and it's Jesus. It's amazing that this is a great, big, giant ministry, Christian ministry. But what are they yielding to? The doctors. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what Mm -hmm. so many of us do. We don't know what faith is. Mm -hmm. So I said, son, let me ask you, first of all, are you a Christian? Well, yes, sir. He said, I'm a Christian. I said, are you living in sin? He said, well, no, sir. 
I said, I've come to realize too many young people in their 20s don't know what sin is. I said, are you living with some girl out of wedlock? Oh, no, no. He said, I would never do that. Well, I said, I had to ask because I found out many of them do. I mean, I run into people all the time in church that comes down with sickness and disease, and yet they're living with somebody out of wedlock, and they both profess to be Christians. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that's sin. Mm -hmm. So, are you telling a little lie? Oh, a little lie, okay. A little lie don't hurt anything. Yes, it does. If you want to walk in divine health, it does. You've got to walk in obedience to the Word in every aspect of the Word. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, after I got him to confess all his sins... And then I told him, I said, well, son, I can only find one sin in your life. He said, what's that? I said, you don't believe God's Word. Well, he was offended. He said, of course, I'm working in the ministry. I'm reading and studying the Bible every day. I do believe God's Word. I said, well, son, you got your Bible? He said, sure. I said, turn over to Matthew 18, 19 and read that verse to me. So he turned over and he read it. I said, read it out loud. Jesus is speaking. Jesus said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for... It shall be done for you by my Father, which is in heaven. Mm -hmm. I said, now see, you're walking in love. All your sins are confessed. Everything except the sin of unbelief. Now, if you believed that verse, you could have took the man standing there in his office with you, and you two could have prayed in faith, and he could have got you healed, and you wouldn't need me. But I said, neither one of you believed that verse. He said, well, I guess you're right. So I said, I want you to repent. So he repented. He said, Lord, forgive me for not believing your promises. I said, now then, I'm going to rebuke the spirit that's attacked your back. I'm going to command it to leave, and I'm going to ask the Father in Jesus' name to send the Holy Ghost to heal and restore your back. And I said, I guarantee he's going to do it. And I did it. I said, now it's done. I looked at my watch, and I said, oh, my goodness. I've got to be in a Bible study. I've been on the phone with you guys 45 minutes. I said, call me in the morning with your praise report. And I hooked it out the door and run, jumped my car and left. The next morning, 7 o'clock, my phone was ringing. They said, Thurman, within five minutes after you prayed, he was completely healed standing in my office. Mm-hmm. Praise God. See, I mean, what is it that we don't believe about these mm-hmm. promises? Mm-hmm. The sin of unbelief will keep you from getting healed. Mm-hmm. People said, Thurman, it couldn't be that simple. Yes, yes it, it can be mm-hmm. that simple. When God said in his word, you must believe my promises with no doubt in your heart. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, when you pray, you must pray in faith, nothing wavering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So when somebody prays, oh, God, if it be your will, will you please heal me here? Forget it. You might as well not go because nothing's going to happen. You need to, first of all, make sure your sins are all confessed. Make sure you're walking holy before God. Make sure you have no unforgiveness. Make sure you're not speaking evil about nobody. Make sure you're walking in love. And then make sure you're studying this book and making the Most High God your dwelling place. And then make him a promise. Lord, on behalf of this verse here, find you one. I ask you to heal me and you promise to do it. Now, Lord, I'll do anything you tell me to do from this day forth. I am no longer my own. And the guy will say, wait a minute, what if he asked me to go to Africa? If he asked you to go to Africa, he'll provide everything you need to go to Africa. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm not willing to do that. Okay, stay sick. Stay sick if you want to. See, here's what we miss. God didn't put us here on this earth to do our thing. He put us here on this earth to do His thing. We're supposed to be about His work, and that's what y'all are all about right here in this ministry. Y'all are about God's work right here in this ministry. Well, Thurman, let's let's check something here. Tommy, has there anything come in here that needs to be said on the air 
so that Thurman can answer it. Well, uh, I have a... We'll get down to the nitty-gritty now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a a request from a grandmother here. Oh, can I tell the story about a grandmother right quick? Sure. You betcha. The other day when I was out here a few months ago, uh, I don't know the grandmother's name. I forgot her name. But she saw me on this program when I was with y'all. And she had a son, a, a son-in-law. Is it okay if I call his name? Yeah. His name was Randy Riley. Now, he may be listening tonight. But Randy Riley and his wife had two sons, a four-year-old and a three-year-old. The three-year-old had been having seizures since he was seven months old. And that mother saw me on here, and she called her son-in-law and said, You need to call this man. I believe he can help us. Well, Randy called me at home one day. After I left her, I went home. Randy called me, and he said, Mr. Scrivener, I have a three-year-old son that right now he's in the 14th seizure in 10 days. He's laying there on his mama's lap screaming. said, We have care-flighted him two times to Amarillo. I believe he said Amarillo to the emergency. We've care-flighted him once all the way from Carlsbad, New Mexico to Fort Worth to Cook's Medical Center, and nobody can help this boy. So we've got prayer teams in our Methodist church in Carlsbad that have been praying for this boy for two and a half years, and nothing has happened. I said, son, are you and your wife Christians? He said, yes. I said, are you and your wife going to church? They said, yes, we go to this big Methodist church here in Carlsbad. I said, okay. Are you and your wife walking in a love relationship to each other? He said, yes. I said, are you speaking evil or holding any grudges against anybody? He said, no. I said, good. You meet the criteria. I said, put the phone down to your baby's ear. He said, what are you going to do? I said, he has a demon, and I'm going to cast it out in the name of Jesus. That young man put that phone down to that little boy's ear, and I rebuked that foul, tormenting spirit of hell and commanded to leave that boy in the name of Jesus and commanded him to never come into him again in Jesus' name. And when I did, that little boy sat up in his mother's lap, put his hand up on top of his head and said, Mother, what happened? He was instantly delivered, instantly healed. And for a month, I mean the next month at the healing school in Justin, I had several couples from the church, that uh, Methodist church in Carlsbad that had been on that prayer team, that had been praying for that boy for two and a half years to no avail, and they saw that boy completely healed and delivered, and they wanted to come find out what I did. So they came to a healing school from Carlsbad, New Mexico, in Justin, and I gave them a whole bunch of tapes to take home with them. And I understand part of the people in that church, they just lit their fire, and part of the people in that church don't believe what I teach. Mm-hmm. Of course. But that doesn't surprise me, not <laughs> one bit. Didn't surprise God either. No. Yeah. But, you know, even when you got a little boy that's, seven, that's, that's been from seven months to two and a half, or three years, for two and a half years, has been in all those seizures, and you see him delivered over the telephone, rebuke a demon and command it to leave over the phone, and see that boy healed. That's Glory awesome. Amen. But I've seen many children like that. So mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you know, it takes faith. That's all it takes. Just like the man I prayed for in Chicago the other day. I prayed for a guy that owns a huge satellite network in Florida the other day that had a stroke or whatever uh, in Colorado, and he died, literally died. They resuscitated him and put a pacemaker in him, and he was not able to... W- do what he needs to do as the owner of this huge satellite network. And I called and talked to that man the other day for an hour and a half and prayed for him, and God healed him too. Good. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. It's just amazing what faith does. 
Amen. But you want you start praying for people and start doing what I do, and I'm going to tell you what. Right now, I'm in the greatest battle with the doctors of theology and the big pastors of churches I've ever been in in my life. You mm-hmm. Because they don't believe what I'm teaching, mm-hmm. but yet God is confirming it with healings and signs and mm-hmm. miracles and wonders. Mm-hmm. But I have never been under the attack in my entire life in the ministry. I am right now. And guess who it's from? Of course. Doctors of theology mm-hmm. and pastors of big churches. Mm-hmm. Not the people. Mm-hmm. Oh, but the people are getting healed and set free. They want to be set they free. They want to be set free. And yet mm-hmm. you're upsetting the apple cart. I'm upsetting the mm-hmm. apple cart, and I plan to upset it a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. And tonight with this thing going all over where you'll be in for a little bit more. So Tommy and I just agree. Yeah. The pits of hell are not going to prevail against you. Not, no. No, no you, way. No, I'll tell you, I mean, uh, I'm going to walk as holy as I know how every day. Mm-hmm. And forgiving those people. Oh, that, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what the thing is. I don't even call their ministry's name or nothing. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, I would not say a word about them. I'm just telling you, I'm catching the flack. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't course. dare say who from or mm-hmm. which institutes or nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, but I am catching flack. Well, like I, I can understand where you're at. Yeah. It's hard for me never. not to want to go hit them in the head and call them by name. <laughs> but that wouldn't be love, see? <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't be love. And when we step out of love, then God don't answer mine in your prayer, Al. And every now and then I step out of love. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got to walk in love. We've got to walk in love if we want God to continue Amen. to answer our prayers. What do you well, this, this grandmother uh, asked you to pray uh, to break uh, soulmate ties of sexual abuse over grandchildren. And well, she, needs she needs to get the children. They need to know the names of those people. Uh-huh. See, she oh, okay. needs she, they, those she people's names it. need to be called. Mm-hmm. Now, that grandmother can do all that, okay. but those people's name needs to be called. I don't have a clue the who abuser. those people are. Yeah, the and you have no way of knowing. But it, I have no way of knowing. Right. But you have to get with the person. The person has to break the soul ties between them and John Doe, mm-hmm. them and Jack Daniels, or mm-hmm. whatever the guy's name yeah. is. You know, whatever their name is, they have to claim by faith the breaking of that. This is something else that people need to know about God. A shotgun blast with God don't get it done. Mm-hmm. Is that why Jesus said, "What's your name?" When he was casting that demon right. out. That's right. Yep. I mean, he when he couldn't get those evil spirits out of the two men in Gadara. He says, what is your name? Yep. And he said, our name is Legion, for we are many. Mm-hmm. So once he found out what the name was, then he commanded the demons to go. Now, of course, that example, I've experienced that same thing. One of the things I've learned in the area of casting out evil spirits, you must make sure that the sin is removed. Amen. Once the sin is Amen. removed, then you can take authority over the evil spirit, command them not to manifest, because mm-hmm. if you don't do that, sometimes they'll still manifest. Mm-hmm. And when they come out, sometimes they come out tearing and screaming and hollering. And I've had, a, I've had a Christian woman come to my church that you would think was the most kind, gentle person you can ever imagine. And you start talking with her, and all of a sudden, in a few minutes, a demonic spirit manifests. And the woman is jumping up, screaming, using words of vulgarity, spitting on you and everything else in church. Mm. You know, so... People, people are standing, oh, what happened to her? I said, it's not her, it's a demon. Mm-hmm. And then you have to take authority over the demon. And when you realize what this is, you, first of all, you don't never let one of them intimidate you. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to realize you have all power and all authority over these evil spirits. And they cannot touch you, cannot touch you under no conditions unless they have legal claim to mm-hmm. you. 
So don't go trying to cast out evil spirits knowing you're living in sin. Amen. Make sure you're walking holy before God. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have no doors open. Mm-hmm. If you do, you can have a tremendous problem. A tremendous problem. Mm-hmm. But when you're walking holy before God, there's no problem. They cannot touch you. It doesn't matter what they do. They cannot touch you. Amen. Yeah. So yes. breaking those soul ties is something that... That needs to be done between those people, whoever they are, and a a person of faith. They need to claim who the people were, Mm -hmm. and they need to claim breaking of those soul Mm -hmm. ties and get those children set free. It doesn't necessarily have to be abuse, does it? Just illegitimate relationship. A soul tie. You can generate a soul tie. You can go to somebody's house that are non-believers or Christians that are believers that are living in sin. You can go have a dinner with those people and create a soul tie. Okay. That's how easy it is. Oh, wow. You, you can go to a doctor's office and, and a soul tie be created between you and instruments in a doctor's office because those instruments were used on non-believers or believers that had demons. That's how, that's how, that's how critical it is. Well, then how would you know to break a soul tie that you picked up like that? The, the main thing is learn how to walk in mm-hmm. faith mm-hmm. so that nothing can touch you. Mm-hmm. That's the secret. Mm-hmm. But the main, the main powerful demonic experience comes through soul ties with people. That's the main yeah. ones. So you want to break those soul ties between people. I mean, you think about people that's been sexually active. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've been together with 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 people in their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, people or just in, do this. Or in a homosexual Oh, if you're a homosexual, if you're a homosexual and you've had... If you've had relations with, with 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, or 100 men, and you're a homosexual, and they've had relations, I mean, it's virtually, you, you virtually can't get impossible. one and set free. Uh-huh. You cannot know those people uh-huh. to get enough of those set free. Uh-huh. I mean, it's something that you have so many soul ties with so many people, and you'll never know who they are. I mean, I feel sorry for those people. Oh, yeah. And they think, the church thinks there's nothing wrong with same-sex marriage. I got oh. a letter and said... Well, Jesus never really spoke against any uh, homosexual. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He just didn't look under sodomy. That's yeah. where it's at. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he made it so clear in the Old Testament, a man that lies with a man as with a woman is an abomination before right. God. Mm-hmm. In fact, he made it so clear there a five-year-old kid could understand what That's that right. meant. That's right. If you want to understand. Yeah, if you want to understand. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sure, it's sin. And, of course, the thing about it is, it's just like every other sin. All it'll do is shorten your life mm-hmm. and kill you prematurely. Mm-hmm. And send you to hell. Yeah. That's right. That's all it'll do. That's not a guarantee. It all depends on what you want out of life. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go to heaven? If you want to go to heaven, first of all, you've got to make Jesus Lord of your life. If you want to be free of sickness and disease here, you must study this book and walk in obedience to it. Because as a born-again Christian, walking in obedience to everything I knew in this book, for 45 years of my life, I still had sickness and disease. Mm-hmm. Didn't understand what brought it on. Because I had never received Jesus as my healer by faith in his word. Mm-hmm. The night I learned the word sozo. If anybody goes to my website, they'll see embedded within my website the word sozo all over the place. S-O-Z-O. That word means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. When people tell me that healing is not in the atonement, I'm telling you when Jesus said it is finished, he saved you, he healed you. He made you whole, He delivered you, and He preserved you. But He's a faith God. And if you don't know those things, mm-hmm. you can live in sickness and disease all of your life. That's where I live. 
But 20 years ago, I got a hold of that magnificent statement, sozo. And that word sozo in the Greek New Testament used two, used 120 times in 103 verses. And that night I read every one of them before I quit. And that night I realized that he was a faith God and that if I wanted to walk in divine health, I had to receive Jesus not only as my Savior, but as my healer, my deliverer, and, my, and making me whole. Mm-hmm. And when I did that by faith 20 years ago, from that day to this, I have never had a sick man. Hallelujah. You know, Thurman, there's people screaming out at me out there. And if, my, if I'm right, the second sun Saturday is coming up this weekend. That's right. And where is it going to be? They, they're desperate. They want to know now. This, this second Saturday at Dallas, Texas at 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We're going to have a healing school. Now say it again. One o nine twenty one Shady Trail in North Dallas. Now, from where Interstate thirty five E and Walnut Hill, thirty five E and Walnut Hill in North Dallas, you go east on Walnut Hill four streets. The fourth street is Shady Trail. You turn right, and we're three hundred yards down on the right in Suite one hundred. It's a warehouse, but that's where we have the healing school there. The second Saturday of every month. That's right. I'm going to be there teaching healing school Saturday. And then we're going to leave there Saturday afternoon and we're going to drive to Hobbs, New Mexico. And Sunday morning I'm speaking in the Bethel Assembly of God Church really? at 10 a.m. and at 6 a.m. Praise God. Sunday. So we're going to be at that pastor called me and wanted me to come speak in his church. So we're going to be at the Bethel Assembly of God Church in Hobbs, New Mexico, 10 a.m. Sunday morning and 6 p.m. So that's not going to be a very long night of sleep for me. No, it's not. You know, so it's but about an eight-hour drive from Dallas to Hobbs, New Mexico. Yes, but there's a lot of people. I think every place that we broadcast in Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, and so on, was eight hours of Hobbs, New Mexico. Yeah. I'll go anywhere to get people healed. I have one goal in life is to do exactly what God called me to do. Amen. I'm going to, this ministry, our little ministry, the Living Savior Ministries, we're going to revolve around the Word of God. We're going to walk holy before God. Just like my new wife, I told her the other day, I said, Honey, I'm going to tell you, for you to go with me, you're going to have to learn to walk on a razor blade because that's where I walk. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. walk a razor blade. Yeah. I said, I used to think when Jesus said the path is narrow, <laughs> I thought he meant, you know, it might be a few feet wide. Oh. Then I found out one day that it was getting down narrower and narrower. Uh-huh. And then one day I've realized it's a razor blade. Mm-hmm. I told her, I said, if you want to go with me, <clears throat> you want to be my mate, you're going to have to walk on that razor blade with me. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to take. Because she's going to have to walk just as holy as I do. Sure. Because mm-hmm. now she and I are one. Yes. So we're but walk what there a together. glorious. Ma'am? What a glorious ministry you'll have together. Yes. Yes. I mean, I love it. I love what yeah. God's done with me. I love mm-hmm. the healings and deliverances. In fact, I was down at Manny, Louisiana the other day and brought a man in had crushed knees. A black man named Johnny Brumfield. Doctor said he'd never walk again. I preached two hours that night. Went over, laid hands on his legs, asked the Father in Jesus' name to heal those legs, and asked Johnny, do you believe God? He said, yes, I do. I said, then take all that steel off you and throw it away. He took all that steel off of him, and in five minutes he's running up and down the aisles oh, of that little church in God. Manny, Louisiana. Brother Craig Letts is a pastor there in that church. And Johnny Brumfield, 
It, it was, it's amazing to see God do these wonderful things. Hallelujah. A yeah. man with crushed knees. So you've got to make sure your sins are confessed. You've got to make sure you're walking in love. And then you've got to have faith. You've got to believe the Word. Without faith, you can't please the King. So if you don't come to Him on behalf of His Word, and that's what I spend all Saturday afternoon teaching you these things mm-hmm. to get people healed and delivered. But they don't have to have you lay hands on them no. to receive that healing. No. They I mean, you got two it. minutes. Well, some of what I it, see, they, they got things they coming in everywhere. Yeah, they are. But he has covered everything you need to do. Just have faith, believe, be pure, and study the word and obey it. You yes, know? ma'am. That's it. In mm-hmm. a nutshell. In That's a nutshell, it. you Make can God do it. The most God time. made it so a child could understand. That's right. It's yes. not a puzzle. His word is simple if you choose to believe it. So choose to believe it. Yes. Praise God. Walk in healing. Walk in health. Where in the Bible define soul ties? Oh, it's, it's a lot of places. There's a whole lot of them. That's what I thought. Yeah, and if they need to know, understand that, they need to get in touch with me and I'll send them some information. Okay. Because it's, it, it's many different places the scriptures talk about soul ties. Especially in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But even in the New Testament, it talks about soul ties. Jose, in there, lots of places. Jose Rene Rodriguez wants you to pray for him. He's a 37 Hispanic male. Um, he has rheumatoid arthritis. He asked me to read his whole name. Let me just lay hands on that whole stack. On, on that whole stack, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I come against the spirits of hell that have attacked your people out there. I, Lord, I trust that you're going to get through to these people. They're going to confess their sins and they're going to walk holy before yes. you. Yes. Because, Lord, if they don't, they ain't going to stay healed. That's right. They're going to have to learn how to talk. They're going to have to get in church. They're going to have to serve the living God. If they don't, they ain't going to stay healed. That's right. simple. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirits that are coming against these people. Command them to leave them in the name of Jesus. And ask you to do a great and mighty merciful healing on everybody that's in this stack. And do a mighty work of healing and restoration in every one of them. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the privilege to pray over them. In Jesus' name. You are the healer. Amen. We glorify you, Father. I've got five you. seconds. Will you come back again? I'll be happy to. <laughs> okay. Remember, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Go get healed. <laughs>